0: Hey, it's Monday. Welcome aboard Toronto today. All set to sail. It is election day. Please get out and vote if you haven't done so already. An interesting day ahead. Coming up in the broadcast today, we're here until one and then gameplay with. Matthew Cause takes over, talking baseball with Drew service from The Athletic, talking football with Miles Simmons, writer for Pro Football Talk, and Todd Ramessar will stop by. He is the agent for Pascal Siakam, so we'll get some context on that article last week and on Pascal himself. You know, there's a lot of stuff that was raised in that article and certainly a, a forthright uh, response by Pascal Siakam, but it'd be interesting to get some context on, on all of that and, and maybe uh, you know put to bed some of those uh, issues that were dealt with in the article so we can do that in person with Todd looking forward to that conversation obviously baseball and football are dominating the conversation today and for baseball fans and the Jays they are in the wild card spot a full game behind Boston Boston has the lead but Boston has played two more games and they're both wins Uh, the Yankees in free fall now at a game and a half out Oakland is two out and a couple of things on that front uh, Garrett Cole gets booed off the mound yesterday uh, and so the uh, New York papers the the reports on the Yankees are like it's all done even though they have a series with the Jays left uh, next week I mean this is literally like uh, you know here are the changes that are going to have to have happen and I was joking around earlier it might be the, the same uh, sort of accident reconstruction team that, that dealt with the Leafs uh, last uh, at the end of the season that they're, they're already doing this with the Yankees and the Yankees still have some life left there. and something to say about this race but but that's where they are and, and of course a lot of it is based on that that positive note of the 13 game run and haven't done much since uh, it was interesting to, to sit here on a monday and go back to what happened on friday so friday we were talking about otani maybe being shut down Yesterday, he shut everybody else down. Uh, eight innings uh, and ten uh, Ks, albeit an Angels three-two uh, loss to Oakland in ten innings. But but so much for that. And, and watching Donaldson, the MVP of, of the American League in 2015, uh, play at the Ball Yard uh, against the Jays and Vladdy in that sweater at jersey exchange at the end of the game. And some of the things that Donaldson said were, were rather intriguing. Uh, you know, talking about Vladdy and Otani uh, in the uh, MVP race. Uh, and he talked about playing on a winning team, and if you are part of a, a winning team, maybe that's worth more, and I would concur with that. And he also said that because of uh – You know, the way that Vladdy plays, he might affect more games, which I would concur with as well. But then you're left with this Otani story, which, as I said last week, is a composite. If you had to describe what Babe Ruth was capable of, not that he did it all in the same season, but the pitching uh, is how Babe started and then the home runs, which is how Babe ended. uh, This is a composite, Otani. I don't know what category you put that in because the Angels aren't that good, but but it is it's an outlier. So... It's an interesting way to, to deal with that. I think you could build a case either way, and we might be prone to go Vladdy's way, but, I mean, the, the Otani uh, achievement is uh, hasn't been done before. So and the other thing that comes out of the – and uh, Robbie Ray will go tonight uh, for the Jays in Tampa. So they, they start in Tampa this week and finish off in Minnesota. It's the direct opposite of a week ago. And Steve Phillips saying uh, that Robbie Ray, uh, the Cy Young, is his to, to lose, basically. So we'll explore that as we welcome in. Drew Fair Service, host of the Athletic Spin Rate podcast. Drew, welcome. How are you today, sir?
1: I'm doing uh, I'm doing pretty well. Lots of baseball this week, so I can't complain.
0: No, no, this we're right into it now. So uh, I, I guess we'll, we'll, we could start off with that uh, that Steve Phillips line on first up this morning that the the AL Cy Young race is Robbie Ray's to lose. Would you concur with that?
1: I think it's pretty hard to argue. I mean, uh, Garrett Cole did not pitch as well yesterday, and I think when it's when it's close as it has been. Um, you kind of start to get into that start by start kind of analysis trade off. But I think that the body work for Robbie Ray is just so good here in 2021. It's hard to it's hard to argue. He's having an incredible, incredible season.
0: He is, and there was a nice piece that Steve Phillips did last week showing how they uh, they corrected some of the mechanics in in his pitching delivery, and and I thought that was noteworthy as well, and and I don't know if this plays into him wanting to stay here or not, uh, because I think we saw with basketball that a lot of things were done for Kawhi Leonard, but he chose to move on at the end of his run here. Uh, Where do you think Robbie Ray plays next year?
1: That's a great question. I mean, this is, he's what, 29, I think. So this is, this is his shot, right? This is, he's, he's going to get his paycheck. He's going to get um, the, you know, the maximum amount of term. And I think that that comfort level uh with the Blue Jays and their, and their whole pitching team, um, I think it, it helped get him here this year, right? The Blue Jays signed Robbie Ray so quickly into the off season last year for what a, a very nominal uh annual amount. So Uh, I I don't know that that any player is in a position to kind of give out a hometown discount when they're getting their, like, big payday. But, uh, you know, the Blue Jays need him, quite frankly, for 2022 and beyond. And, uh, again, a guy who has a pretty simple approach, a guy who is throwing harder than ever now. Uh, You know, there's a lot of appeal. There's a lot of – it's a good fit. I mean, I'll I'll say that. So, you know, there's going to be lots of different players that are going to, like, you know, teams in terms of players for services, even a team – you know, like the Padres that we've seen have invested so much in their team and then the pitching has really fallen apart and they're turning to Jake Arietta and, you know, God knows who else to try to win games that they need to win. And it's not working out. So there'll be a lot of suitors for Robbie Ray's uh, services. I think he's a good fit in Toronto. They, they will have the money, but, uh, you know, it's going to be, it's, in terms of baseball, it's going to be a scary contract. I, you know, anytime you're signing a pitcher for, for five or six years for 110 or $50 yeah. million, dollars, it's, it's, it's daunting.
0: I agree with you, but, you know, if they were to figure out a way how to do this, I mean, that's, that's one area of the team based on the other guys in that rotation who've got uh, longevity written all over them that, that you really wouldn't have to worry about for, for several years down the road, which would be a really nice piece, wouldn't it?
1: Oh, for sure. But, uh, you know, I, even as we've seen with, with Hyunjin Ryu here in the last few weeks, that you know pitchers are reliable and healthy right up until the moment that they're not. And, and Robbie Ray, a guy who has been, uh, you know, pretty healthy for his career, but has never performed at this level. Uh, I think, I don't think this. I think you'd be foolish to, to think any of these, these changes that he's made or any of the improvements that he's made are, are temporary or kind of a mirage. But, uh, you know, anytime you're signing a pitcher into his thirties, there's always that back half of the contract is always going to be scary. You just have to hope that the front half sort of pays the freight for the whole thing. Uh, but, uh, I agree. I think he's a great match and I think that, that he's very comfortable here. But I think a lot of that comfort comes with the, and the idea of like I'm going to put myself in a position to get that big contract um, which which he's which he's done, which has worked out brilliantly for him and for the team so who knows i again, I'd love to see him back in Toronto, of course
0: so let's talk about Ryu you uh, placed on the IL with a, a neck tightness uh, first of all the the obvious question is how does this affect the rotation and does this you don't want to read too much in the injury but but would you what's your concern level here
1: I mean there is there is some there is some concern, obviously, just because he hasn't been pitching well. Um, a guy with with the limited uh, margin for error, he can't get away with the things like you know as we were just talking about Robbie Ray, who can who can throw 95 and and has really even added velocity to his slider and that gets him out of trouble and he can make miss bats and and Hyunjin Ryu has just not been doing that and you know he's a guy who's a little bit older and there's still a couple years left on his contract so I think in terms of the Blue Jays rotation they're in a pretty good spot uh, with with everybody else pitching as well as they are. Um and, and with there just being so few games left that they can all they have to do is maybe skip a start or 2 um, reevaluate it with only the 10-day injured list as it is now and there's a chance he could still slip in and and get a start at the end of the season where the Blue Jays can figure out where he is and if they're in a in a position to be looking at a playoff roster then maybe he can be on it or maybe maybe they can make a decision about where where he might go so I mean I think there's a part of me that hopes or, or thinks that the the neck injury and the, and the moving him to the injured list is a bit of a, a bit of window dressing for just sort of a, maybe a, giving him a break, sort of reevaluating where he is mechanically. Um, unless, of course, it is something that's a bit more serious. But my sense is it's it's maybe not. It's more of a let's just give him a bit of a breather and uh, and see if we can strip strip down and, and sort out what's going on right now.
0: Uh, for me, the, the story that uh, really slipped under the radar yesterday was Barrios. I mean, he had some sort of muscle tightness, and there was concern there, but he had a pretty good outing yesterday, and, and uh, I mean, a real nice fit, isn't he?
1: He's great. I mean, he's, he's ideal for, for what the Blue Jays want to do. There's been a lot made, especially when he was first acquired, that, that he and Alec Manoa are almost the same pitcher, right? They have very similar uh, uh, repertoires. They, they come after hitters in a really uh, similar way. And, uh, just like Robbie Ray, uh, you know, Jose Barrios is a, is a, is a player who the Blue Jays front office, or not front office, I should say the pitching team, you know, Pete Walker and Matt Bushman and all the analysts kind of behind the scenes that, that make up this, this really, uh, fine-tuned machine that's really able and, and, and to, to extract the most of what guys like, like Barrios can offer and, uh, simplified his his mechanics a little bit cut down some of that extra movement to just keep him direct and keep him on online and on path to the plate and uh and he's pitching well i mean he's, he he throws hard he's got a great curveball one of the best curveballs in baseball uh according to baseball america this year it's uh he's uh he's a guy that that you love to see pitching here for the blue jays down the stretch and also knowing that he's going to be still around for 2022 not a free until the end of the season and definitely the kind of guy the blue jays might look to um assigned to an extension, I think, just because um, all the pieces sort of fit and, and durable and, and, and again, and, and is effective, which is a pretty good combo.
0: You know, you said something there about uh, how the Blue Jays and the pitching staff or the coaching staff adjusted Barrios. Uh, we saw that with Robbie Ray. I guess two things come out of that. Do the other teams that they were playing on before not see that, and, and do the Jays sort of lead the way in, in fixing that type of thing up?
1: I don't know if lead the way might be, a, might be a little bit strong, but I think the biggest yeah. thing is, is is not just being able to, A, identify who are the guys that we can help to bring the most out of, but also B, who are the guys who are going to listen? Who are the guys that A, we can speak the language that they want to, that they want to speak? I mean, Pete Walker is, is a, was a big leaguer not that long ago and Matt Bushman who is, who is quite young as well. So if they're able to make that connection with those players to speak in the word, in, in the, in the words and the terms that, that resonate with the players. And, and, again, that comes back. So if, if it's the analytics team that is able to to, to deliver effective messaging that then the, the coaching staff can use, it's a whole, like, series of things that they have to be <clears throat> kind of reading or singing from the same songbook to get that buy-in as well as being able to identify players who are going to want to buy in. If there's a bit of a hard-headed element or somebody who's like, you know, I know what I do. I know my mechanics. I'm, I'm good this way. I've been doing it since I was 13 years old. That's great, wish you the best of luck, but if the Blue Jays are able to speak in a way that, that, that the players can hear and, and everybody's sort of working together and, and then they can make the, make the players believe that we want you to be the best version of yourself, like, like we've said with Robbie Gray, where they sign him for a one year deal. You know you, we know, you know you're comfortable here. We're comfortable working with you. We know we can really make you the best pitcher you can be. That's the ultimate advertisement for, like, the player development model that the Blue Jays are really going for. And I think we're seeing, you know, more and more success stories come out of this. And uh, not only is it success just in terms of that's a good thing to do for your organization, it's a good thing to do because it helps you win games. And that's where the Blue Jays are right now.
0: Okay, so here we sit. Two weeks left, 13 games, seven this week, six next week. This week, as I said on the way in, was a reverse of last week in Tampa, in Minnesota. What kind of numbers do the Jays do you think need in terms of wins to get this done?
1: Well, I said, uh I guess, a week and a half ago or so. The Blue Jays, especially with those games against the Rays, given the way that they've played the, the Rays traditionally, given the fact that the Rays are just a good team, If the Blue Jays went three and three against the Rays, they would probably be in a pretty good position to make the playoffs. So they've already gone two and three. They they have uh, played the Rays pretty tough this year. Uh, One thing in particular, the Blue Jays have pitched really well against the Rays, really keeping the Rays' offense off the board. Uh, So if they can if they can even just win two of these games against the Rays, I think they're going to be in a pretty good in a pretty good position. Uh, I don't think we can expect them to go in and and sweep four on the road like they did, uh, you know, the previous uh, when they went to New York. But, uh, you know, they are playing teams that are worse than them between Minnesota and then between uh, the Baltimore at the end of the season. Uh, I think that that series against the Yankees is the big one, but the Yankees might have kind of sunk by then and have that series not be quite as big, but that's going to be a great opportunity, I think, next week to really kind of put a stranglehold on a on a wild-guard spot.
0: Uh, quickly on the way out, Ryu was scheduled Wednesday. Who takes his spot? I'm guessing it'll probably be, be Ross Stripling,
1: uh, who's been sort of Serving in a in a piggyback role with Ryu, kind of struggling, and after he came out of that start in New York after just 80 pitches, complaining of a little bit of tightness in his elbow. So I think you will they'll they'll try and get as much as they can out of Stripling, and then they'll kind of cobble together a bit of a quasi bullpen game. Um, they've they've shown an, a willingness to kind of shuttle some some guys back and forth from the minors and, and back up. So you know they've they've got some fresh arms uh, again, considering how well their rotation is has pitched of late. They got a lot of fresh arms back in that bullpen, and, you know, they got Nate Pearson, used, uh, went for a, a multiple innings uh, last week. So I think that it'll be stripling and then kind of the cast of thousands behind him.
0: Drew, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, it's Drew Fair Service, host of the Athletic Spin Rate podcast, uh, going over the Jays, who again, uh, open in Tampa tonight, uh, Robbie Ray goes for Toronto and, uh, Let's see, tomorrow would be Manoa. Uh, so, again, seven seven days of work this week and then a day off next, uh, a week today and then uh, at home to the Yankees, at home to Baltimore, and that's it. So, I mean, it's, it's all in front of us now, 13 games left, and and the Jays uh, obviously will play two more than Boston because Boston has uh, two more in the win column. So who knows where this goes? Hosting the wild card game in the wild card game either is acceptable at this point and then fasten your seatbelts. We'll see what happens the rest of the way. Let's switch gears and, and talk NFL. Miles Simmons writer for pro football talk will be with us very very shortly in fact he's here now miles welcome how are you today sir doing well thank you how are you good good thanks i'm still you know i mean week two and and all the night games seem to be a a little more riveting than the daytime stuff but but that baltimore win over kc last night absolutely stunning that fourth and one call at midfield to, to seal the win for baltimore is really gutsy isn't it
2: yeah, you know what's funny, man? I I almost feel like it's not as gutsy as we want to make it out to be for that team specifically because that's just what they do. You know, that is their philosophy in Baltimore. If they know that they have a play, that they feel like they can run, that's just their attitude. They're going to go after it. They're going to get after you. And I think uh, Lamar Jackson re- related it to when they were playing Seattle a couple of years ago and John Harbaugh, their head coach, just said on the sideline, hey, man, you want to go for this right here? And he said, absolutely, I do. And so, you know, that's just what they did last night. And you can see it on the broadcast. Harbaugh was yelling out to him, hey, Omar, you want to go for this? Of course, Lamar Jackson wants to go for it. But that's their attitude. And I love it. I, you know, I love when we see teams be aggressive like that, when you're playing to truly win the game, as opposed to you're saying, all right, well, if we do X, Y, and Z, maybe we won't lose, right? Like, they were really going for winning the game, and that's what they did.
0: Yeah, it was thrilling to watch. And KC comes up with a rare turnover late in the game as well. I mean, there was like a perfect storm for Baltimore. And then when you go back to their uh, their loss in Vegas, all of a sudden you look at the Ravens a little differently, don't you?
2: Oh, absolutely. Look, I mean, I I frankly thought that Kansas City was going to win that game. It just seemed like that's what Kansas City usually does. They go down the field whenever they have the opportunity, and they secure their wins. And with Baltimore only having one timeout in that situation, the only way that they were going to get the ball back without, you know, maybe you know, 30 seconds or so left on the clock, and they'll probably be down two, was if they got that kind of takeaway. And, you know, credit to Owe, the young rookie. He got his hand in there. He popped that ball out loose from Clyde edwards Lair, and boom, you know what? Baltimore goes on and wins the game.
0: Uh, earlier in the day, the Bucks wipe out Atlanta. It wasn't really a wipeout; it turned out that way. Forty-eight twenty-five. Back-to-back pick-sixes in the fourth quarter will do that. I mean, when you want, and that underscores the, the the Brady performance. Nine touchdown passes in two weeks. So the, the, this Bucks team is a machine, literally, isn't it?
2: Oh, absolutely. And you know what? They keep scoring thirty points in games. Apparently, that's an NFL record. They've scored thirty points in nine straight victories, which is a little bit ridiculous. But also, I think that. What we don't necessarily think about is okay. A team wins the Super Bowl, right? And they're the best team in the league in that year. Well, there's an argument to be made that the Bucks are better this year than they were at any point last year because they have so much continuity. They brought back all 22 starters. They brought back really key contributors too, guys like Antonio Brown there on the, on the offense and. When you think about what they were doing last year, they didn't have a regular off-season program, didn't have a regular training camp. Tom Brady's coming in, and he's learning a new offense for the first time in basically 20 years. Right, So now that they've gone through all of this stuff once, it stands to reason that they're going to be better at it going through it a second time. And so you see Tom Brady has five touchdown passes, and he's doing what he's doing at the age of 44. It is hard to believe, but and can you put anything past Brady? I mean, he's the GOAT. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I know. But you watch the Bucks. I mean, literally every part of that team functions very well. There's no no soft spot in that lineup, is there?
2: No, absolutely not. And, and I think, like I said, that comes with having the continuity that they have in bringing back all of the guys that they brought back. But I also feel like when you have somebody like Tom Brady who's been through this so many times, I mean, there frankly are players on the team with him right now that are young enough to be his sons. Uh, If he's 44, there are 20-year-olds on that team, 21-year-olds on that team. They're young enough to be his child. So Tom Brady has younger kids than that. I think you understand what I'm saying. But, but, you know, there are so many things that Tom Brady has seen over the course of his years in the league. You can't surprise him. And there's nobody who'd understand what it takes to win championships more than this guy in this league right now. So I just feel like when you have all of those things put together – and you have a team that's still pretty hungry and wants to show that, like last year wasn't just a fluke, that they can do it again, I think it adds up to what we're seeing in Tampa right now.
0: Uh, The great thing about early in the season is you can atone for a misstep in week one, and that would be the Bills, 35-zip over the Dolphins in Miami. And A lot of people uh, very close to our radio station on the other side of the border in Buffalo are are just thrilled (laughs) with this performance.
2: (laughs) Oh, as they should be, but I mean, look, I, I think when you saw what happened with the Bills and with Pittsburgh in week one, I, I always think about the fact that there are just so many wonky things that can happen in week one when you're facing a team and there have been changes to that other team, right? And with Pittsburgh, they're running an entirely new offense. Okay, so there are just things that you can't necessarily plan for when you haven't seen that. Now, is that absolutely why the Bills lost that game? No, it it certainly is not. And I think, you know, their defensive performance and their special teams performance, talking about Pittsburgh, was something that obviously put them over the top. But, yeah, when you look at what happened yesterday with the Bills and with the Dolphins, A, whenever you shut out a team in the NFL, that says something. And I think that the Bills felt like they really had something to prove coming off of that loss um, to Pittsburgh. But then, you know what, I I think you also had – the fact that Tua Tagovailoa wasn't in that game for very, very long. And yeah. when you're playing a backup quarterback, that's exactly what you should do. You should make that team look like it's playing a backup quarterback. And so I think that's a, that's a good sign for the Bills' defense going forward.
0: Let's veer off a bit. A lot of taunting calls. Where are you on, on the league's rule and, and what yeah. should be done about this? Are you okay with it all?
2: I mean, I I understand the league doesn't want things to escalate in certain ways, right? Like, you want there to be competitive fire on the field, but you don't want it to escalate into truly bad sportsmanship. But I just feel like there are some of these things where things get called where you're just like, wait a minute, what was that? That's all we're doing? And we're calling that taunting? There was one guy, he he spun the ball, and I I wish I could remember exactly what game it was. Oh, it was Houston and Cleveland. He, uh, there was a tight end, he made a catch, and he spun the ball, and the rest are like, oh, you spun it in the direction of the defender. I was like, wait a minute, I, did he really? Or in that Bucks game where you have Mike Edwards making two straight inner pick sixes, and he yeah. turns around, and he's like backing his way into the end zone, and that's talking. I mean, I feel like. If anything, if you make two pick-sixes in a row, you should receive an exemption for taunting. How hard is that to do and How often do we see that? So I think you get to taunt whenever you make two interceptions in a row, but I also don't feel like that should have been taunting in the first place.
0: So is your impression that that the individual officials put their own spin on it? They're not calling it literally, right?
2: Well, I don't know. I think that whenever you have something that is from the league supposed to be a point of emphasis, then it's going to get called a lot, especially in the first couple of weeks. I think we saw this a couple of years ago with different things like pass interference. You've seen it with holding and all these different things. So that's kind of what the league wants when you make it a point of emphasis. But I, I just feel like over the course of time, as we continue down this path of this 2021 season, these things are going to get called less and less because I I don't feel like they're really being called within the spirit of the rule in some of these instances, you know, because if guys really aren't going after other people, then why are we making them have a 15-yard penalty? A 15-yard penalty is something that is really kind of destructive to what it is that you're trying to do. Maybe if it's five yards, it's one thing, right? But I just don't feel like, this is what the league wants. They don't want everybody to be talking about taunting penalties on Mondays. They want to be talking about how great all these games were. And if they continue to have these ridiculous taunting penalties, then it's going to still be brought up.
0: Monday Night Football, Detroit and Green Bay. I'm a lifelong Lions fan. Sympathy cards, please. Uh, Talk me off the ledge here.
2: Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I just said. Listen, if, uh, if Green Bay plays like they did last week, then the Lions should win. But uh, I don't really know that that's going to happen. Especially, you know, they're, play- they're back in Lambeau Field. They're going to have a full yeah. Lambeau Field for the first time in a really, really long time. Uh, yeah. Aaron Rodgers, I think, wants to show that, like, last week was a fluke. And, frankly, the Lions, I got a lot of questions about a lot of different positions. What are they going to do at cornerback? It's going to be a problem with Jeff Okuda going out. Not that he was playing all that well in the first place. But, you know, whenever you have to bring guys in and bring them up and you're playing Aaron Rodgers, that's a tough, tough task um, for, for any team, especially any young cornerback. So I don't know what I could say to talk you off the ledge, but you know what, if, if you want to act like the, the Packers are bad because they played poorly in week one, maybe that'll do it.
0: Yeah, maybe. Miles, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Of course, take care well simmons writer for pro football talk so we've got monday Night football detroit and green bay both oh and one uh so one of them's going to be zero and two which will mean seven teams in the national football league will be zero and two after uh, week number two and we've got a collection we've got seven teams that are actually two and oh uh right now as well so uh interesting and, and that means everybody else is one and one of course which is pretty well most of the league um and that, uh really heavy in the afc that way uh, a couple of other notes from yesterday zach wilson gets booed uh in a Jets game where. The Patriots, like old times, Patriots go into New York against the Jets and, and waste them 25 to 6. Uh, so the, you know, between Garrett Cole getting booed off at Yankee Stadium and Zach Wilson, um, in the, uh, Jets game that was a popular thing uh, yesterday for New York uh, sports fans as uh, those two teams are well the Jets have just been in search for a young quarterback for a long long time haven't they uh, let's see coming up next we're going to talk about uh, Pascal Siakam that piece that we had Josh Lewenberg on Friday in the New York Times Todd Ramessar will stop by he is Pascal's agent that'll be an intriguing conversation this is Toronto Today it's election day on TSN 1050 live on your radio live streaming podcasting and on demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the i heart radio canada app.
3: now back to toronto today
0: toronto today tsn 1050 jim taddy reporting until one o'clock in its gameplay with matthew cause we're going to talk about the Leafs in our last segment right now we're going to deal with pascal siakam's piece in the new york times and other other items concerning pascal and his um role with the Raptors. Todd Ramessar is the founder and chief executive officer of Life Sports Agency, agent for Pascal Siakam. Todd, welcome. How are you today, sir?
4: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Oh, good. Good, thanks. Uh, So, first of all, I would credit Pascal for being open and honest in that Times piece. I mean, that's not everybody. That's a a real credit to him.
4: Oh, well, I I appreciate that. I know he wanted to... uh, you know, as the as team is uh, transitioning back to Toronto and he's coming back into the season and, and coming back to Toronto in what we hope to be a normal or at least close to normal season, he wanted to, uh, you know, just just talk to the fans, talk to, uh, uh, talk to Canada and, and, and start off the season on the right note.
0: Um, so many frustrations for him. Uh, social media, there's, there's criticism from the fan base at times. Um, how does that affect him? How does he deal with it, and, and how do you advise him to deal with it?
4: I mean, the, he understands, that, as we all do. Like, there's always going to be criticism, even when you're winning and you're doing everything right. Someone's not going to agree with you. That's there in the fan base, and even whether it be through social media or even through the media, um, there's there's sometimes going to be, you know, comments that are, you know, against, uh, you know, everything that he may be. Um, you know, believing or, or actually working towards. But, you know, the, the advice that I give to Pascal or, or, um, or any other client for that matter is just staying in control of what you have control over. And also know, understanding that winning helps a lot. You know, the, the Raptors, uh, in Pascal, they didn't have their best year, uh, last year, uh, right, which was pretty clear and evident. And, um uh, and with that is going to be more criticism. So, the only thing that he could stay in control over is, you know, obviously his health. He had his uh, surgery and procedure and getting back as soon as possible to rejoin the team. And then once, once he's back, or, and even before he's back, is, is just talking to the young guys and his teammates to support them in winning games early on in the season until he returns and then just continue doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, I, I found last year, because we covered the team from a distance, obviously, that the fact that it uh, relocated, the fact they had to find living quarters um, close to the start of the season and then the eventual COVID outbreak on the team, I mean, there's a lot of things that they all had to deal with that, that really didn't get out because they were trying to survive it. How difficult was that?
4: It was extremely difficult. and There's other factors, too, Jim, that weren't made public that uh, were due to the pandemic that, you know, not just Pascal, but the organization and, and uh, the organization uh, from personnel to the players had to deal with it. Um, but obviously the expectations were still great and they didn't want to use that as an excuse. And um, it's something that they just had to deal with. And I, I think that contributed, in my opinion, to the season that they had, right? In addition to, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Pascal and his teammates getting COVID at some point in the season.
0: Uh, it had to be, I mean, we, we didn't understand, but we respected it and, and knew that it was just um, a dire situation that way. And, and you know, if, if they gotten into the playoffs, they would have been in, in just a, another uh, sort of awkward situation. I, I thought to a man they all handled it as, as best they could, as difficult as it was. Um, you know, I think a lot of when we were talking about Pascal is, a, is about his leadership and, and, and the, the role for him moving forward now that this team is in transition. How have you seen him grow that way?
4: You know, he, how I've seen him grow, I've, I've seen him grow year after year. Uh, Jim, I, I you know, as, as I've talked to him or we talk internally, it's just about adversity and challenges that every individual faces or even leaders face where it's an opportunity to grow from it. You know, specific to the NBA, you know, every great player goes through some adversity in their career where, you know, you could have fans or media – that are saying things, or they may be in the news cycle for something, um, you know, something negative, uh, that is, you know, based on their play and, you know, the great ones figure it out and they endure and they come back and they win. Right. And they lead, you know, as much as it is about basketball, it's also about life. Pascal is growing, um, you know, even off the court, um, you know, just in terms of uh, his philanthropic endeavors, his business endeavors, but mainly just learning to be a leader in his new role. Because, you know, Jim, we haven't seen a player have a, you know, have a story like Pascal in in terms of getting drafted as a relative, relatively unknown player to then becoming an all-star a few years later and winning a championship. So all that is new. Um but it's something that he embraces and something that he's working
0: on. Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I guess a lot of times a star player, you expect the guy to show up um, star ready. Uh, and, and this is uh, this is a sort of a developing story. Although he has played some really good basketball for the Raptors, but I think we sort of look at this as a story that that tracks forward and, and where it goes. You, you always want more, right?
4: Yeah, I think that's human nature, right? Whether you're yeah. a fan watching or even for Pascal. You know Pascal. Uh, you know the the. I don't want to say pressure he puts on himself, but the expectations he puts on himself. He wants more. He wants to produce more. He wants to be back in the playoffs. He wants to win a championship, and he wants to lead. Uh, you know, be a leader on his team. And that doesn't mean that he's he's going to be outspoken or front and center. It's just doing whatever it takes to help his team win games. Uh, you know, doing whatever it takes as a veteran. Uh, and, and, and an NBA champion to kind of instill that culture and winning attitude and winning habits to the young players that were just drafted because Pascal is a great supporting cast and in, in Fred and OG and, and, and Chris and some of the guys that have been there through the championship as well as the front office and coaching staff. Now it's a matter, you know, again, and you touched on it, Jim, earlier, it's just them being back in Toronto – uh, I think is going to help out a lot because it's just uh, it's just getting back to some normalcy. Every every game last season was was an away game, right? In addition yeah, oh, yeah. to all the other factors that you're dealing with, and I, I think some you know the the personnel, of the Toronto Raptors front office and coaching staff, they don't get enough credit for being displaced from their families. What a, a two weeks prior to the season tipping off, right? Uh, and that wasn't easy for them. So I think everyone's just happy to be back and happy to familiar territory so that, and then obviously getting back to the arena and having fan, having their loyal fan base back. Those are all good signs to, uh, to move forward in the right way.
0: Well, I mean, honestly, that was a season you wouldn't wish on anybody, and somehow they persevered. I'm I'm curious because I think this applies to to anybody, but for certainly a star athlete. It's it's much more uh, scrutinized. Um, the The constant evolution. Um, you could be successful for a period of games, and then you have to. You know, change things around so that you can't be stopped. Uh, there's, there's that evolution, and and the greats are relentless with how they pursue this. And then there's the evolution of, of bouncing out of, of negative situations. I mean, this is a lot of uh, really uh, inner search for success. How does Pascal go about this?
4: You know, I, I think it's taking it one day at a time. It's it's keeping a circle tight. It's also you know listening to constructive criticism from. From uh, the, the, you know, from the people that he's closest with, or even uh, even management and just learning, understanding that it's learning. I think oftentimes in, unless you're in, in sports, uh, you don't realize these young men are in their 20s. You know if we, if we equate it to everyday life for most of us, we're still trying to figure out who we are in our 20s, right and get settled in that and comfortable in our own skin for, for these young men uh, in the NBA they're thrust into the limelight and under a microscope where everyone's getting to see, you know, that adversity and seeing their growth. So for Pascal, it's again, just understanding adversity is a part of life. Challenges are a part of life. It's embracing those challenges, learning from them and just getting back to work and focusing on the work and your craft. We're not, you know, the adversity we're seeing isn't a matter of complacency or, not working hard for Pascal. In some ways, it was, you know, um, factors that were out of his control, like a pandemic, like immigration issues, like like being displaced from Toronto and playing in in Tampa a few weeks and being notified a few weeks before the season begins. These aren't excuses I'm making for Pascal or even the Raptors. These are just facts that – And the, and the cards that you're dealt with. But I tell you this much, he's not going to see factors like this again, or at least the perfect storm of these factors. So again, knowing that, you you know, you've seen the worst of it, it's just getting back, you know, even despite injury and surgery, it's like putting in the work, focusing on the task at hand, getting back to winning and just moving forward. And that's it. It's that simple.
0: In that New York Times piece, there's the comment about no communication from the front office telling him he was the guy. Um, how do we, was it, do you think that was the representative of how he felt it? And what does all that mean?
4: Yeah, no, it, it wasn't representative. And, and even though it was quoted, what Pas, Pascal, it got taken out of context. It was more of a communication uh, with the franchise and him understanding. Uh, his own role within the team as being, uh, you know, coming off of uh, being designated as a max player. And it was a transition for the franchise. So I think that in addition to all the other factors of the pandemic and everything else, and then also Pascal getting comfortable in his new role, because really when you look at that, you look at Pascal's circumstances, here's, Here's a young man that gets drafted by a team where he's not a starter and he's relatively unknown to working his way into being a starter and, and contributing to winning an NBA championship to then being thrust as the marquee guy while losing a lot of the veteran supporting cast that was around him, and now even Kyle, right? You know, yeah. the first year after the championship is Kawhi, then it's followed by Mark and Serge just a few weeks before the season begins, and then now Kyle, who is who is the face of the Raptors, right? So for a young player that's making that transition into being like being more vocal or being more of a leader, and and being designated that, and then these other factors hit, it was a lot. So what he, I think, what Pascal was trying to convey was just the communication and the support could have been better on both sides while dealing with all of these factors and trying to win. You know, I think, you know, and I, I I think from that article, especially with everything else that's been thrust into the media the last few months out of nowhere, not coming from the Raptors or coming from Pascal or or his camp is, like, Pascal loves being a Toronto Raptor. That's who drafted him. That's who's groomed him. That's who he's won a championship with. And, th- and that's who's believed in him. And, uh, and he believes in the franchise. And I think the combination of some of, the, some of those headlines about trade rumors uh, being out there and then the New York Times piece and a, a quote uh, being focused on, I think that's where it's, uh, it's misleading.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know how this goes. There are things that make a great conversation. It doesn't mean there's anything uh, relevant about them, but they're, they are great talking points. So, so let me ask you this: based on on what you know, and 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 uh, uh, you know, getting away from the uh, the outward or, or social media talk, what is his relationship with the coaching staff and management?
4: Great, and I'm uh, I'm not just saying that it's great. Uh, it's the communication is there, the support is there. Uh, Pascal I know everyone wants to focus on a blow up with him and Nick last season but, but players get into disagreements with coaches and vice versa I think a lot too much emphasis was put on that Pascal even after the incident him and Nick has talked and they've uh, they've spent some time this off season uh, together talking and and going out to dinner and you know even uh, Pascal spending time in at summer league with management the relationship is good. And, and now with, you know, you know, Kyle being gone and, and uh, some of the veterans being gone, it's, it's Pascal and Fred's team now moving forward. Like they're, they're Kyle and Damar, Kyle and, and Kawhi now. And Pascal understands he has to have a great relationship with his coaching staff and, and management. And I think the same goes with management and the coaching staff that all lines of communication need to be there. And, they need to be on the same page if they're going to get back to being a uh, in contention for a championship.
0: Yeah, uh, bear with me here. I just I, I need to ask this question. So, so based on that New York Times article, uh, would would he or you then phone up the team and, and talk about it or or not?
4: Uh, talk uh, talk about what specifically, Jim?
0: Well, what was in the article? Like to, to put it in proper perspective.
4: Um, no, not at, not at all because it's already been discussed.
0: Okay, cool. Um, in terms of his, uh, health, the uh, recovering from surgery, what's his timeline?
4: Well, it's, uh, it's, um, uh, he's going to be cleared for contact, uh, towards the end of next month, but it's really coming off of surgery. This is where it's going to be up to, um, uh, You know, the medical personnel with the Raptors, once he's cleared for contact, to say when he's ready so that there's no setbacks in his return. So, you know, if I'm guesstimating, probably sometime in November.
0: Well, uh, Todd, I appreciate your time. We look forward to to his return. certainly a major part of what happens next year. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. That's Todd Ramasar, our founder and chief executive officer of Life Sports Agency, agent of Pascal Siakam, among others. So you always want to get uh, clarity and perspective uh, on what's going on. And uh, when things appear in print, they're edited down. And I like to uh, have the right context. So I'm sure he clarified that. And uh, as he said, uh, open for contact at the end of next month, which is the end of October. Uh, so probably – somewhere in november we'll see him play again for the raptors uh there's a sort of a breaking situation uh we're going to give credit here to kevin mcgrath from the toronto star uh, the toronto maple leafs and raptors are planning to play in front of full capacity crowds full capacity crowds at scotia bank arena this season waiting for official clearance from the province so that's what they're pushing for and uh, it also says, with a fully vaccinated venue, and you know what that means, it, it is our belief, according to the, the Leafs and Raptors, that we can safely host a full-capacity event, said MLSC spokesperson Dave Haggith. So th- so that's what they're working on, uh, which will be cert- uh, certainly welcomed uh, by everybody, I would think. So we'll have more to say on that coming up, and we'll talk some hockey next. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on-demand on Apple CarPlay and Android auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Toronto Today, Jim Taddy reporting, final segment, and then Matt Cos and gameplay take over for the next three hours, followed by Overdrive, followed by Monday Night Football. Oh, no, guy. The Lions in Green Bay, always a disaster. They're both 0-1. Oh, it might be the last time I wear my Lions jersey all year. What do you mean, might be, guy? <laughs> All right, some hockey stuff. So I just want to go over that Kevin McGran report in the Toronto Star that uh, the MLSE is is asking for provincial approval to have full crowds for Leafs and Raptors games this year. So whenever that gets announced, of course, we'll have that for you. Uh, By the way, the Leafs preseason starts on Saturday, uh, and that will be September 25th, and we'll have that game live here on TSN 1050. And if you're looking for Leafs lunch, it will return before the start of the Leafs season. And happy birthday to Johnny Tavares today turns 31 and certainly led by example last year with the uh, commitment to defense. Uh, so when you're projecting for this year, you're wondering about who's going to benefit on the left side. Mike Kelly from the NHL Network was trumpeting Michael Bunting.
3: I think there's some more established guys like a Jordan Cairo uh, who, who fit that mold. But I want to stick again to the lesser known guys that you might say in a year from now, wow, that was a great signing. So I'm going with Michael Bunting, the Toronto Maple Leaf signing. Played a little bit in Arizona last year. I kind of think he's like a verhage Lite light because he's got a lot of those same elements to his game where he's a pain in the butt to play against, really good away from the puck, going and getting it, getting in battles, digging it out. Um, and he's, he's really good around the net. He's where he scored a lot of his goals in Arizona. A good net front presence. You can put him there in the power play. And opportunity is going to be a big part of this as well because... Michael Bunting is going to be in Toronto where he could be in a top six left wing role. You look at, again, that per 20-minute rank and even strength uh, because he didn't get the big minutes last year. Those inner slot shots where half the goals in the league are scored, he's top 25. He recovers a bunch of pucks in the offensive zone. You dump it in, he'll go get it. 11th in winning those battles and 65th winning puck battles overall. So he's got a bit of that same kind of tendency to his game and I'm not sold on Nick Ritchie landing that Hmm. top six left wing spot. If he doesn't, It's going to go to Michael Bunting, who will be playing with two elite offensive players and could become kind of a de facto new Zach Hyman. So that's my pick.
0: Mike Kelly, regular contributor to Leafs Luncheon on the NHL Network, trumpeting Michael Bunting, I mean, at the very least you could appreciate that the Leafs have done their due diligence on, on checking those numbers out and understanding, and obviously you can't know for sure until you see them play on the ice and what the chemistry is and how that role fits with what's already there but clearly, on the left side of Tavares and the left side of, of Austin Matthews it's a very, very specific role, it, it's not figure it out it's you have to do this and the puck has to go over there and we will have success. So there's um, options there. There's numbers on that left side. Nobody knows exactly how it's going to work out or if it works out for a while, then what's plan B and C, and and at least they have depth that way and and sort of hovering. I call them like the, like the, the, the traffic copter hovering around the whole scene is Alex Kerfoot. So they're ready to to parachute him in on the left side of either one of those top two lines or as the third line center. So the the one thing I will give them credit for, there's a lot of strength in numbers here and, and we'll see how it all works out. Certainly, it will, major scrutiny on the Leafs this year. No guy. Oh, no guy. If you missed it on the weekend, Chara signed by the Auditors in a one-year contract drafted by the Auditors in 1996. Already he When he was playing in the NHL, at least four or five of his teammates weren't even born yet. So so we'll leave on that. I hope you enjoyed today's edition of Toronto Today. Coming up next, gameplay with Matthew Cause and Al's brother. They're going to sift through all their mistakes from the weekend, which are voluminous, to say the least. Enjoy your afternoon. Go vote.